Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, the show I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. My name's Matt Wakeling, and thank you so much for joining me for episode number 103. Now today I speak to Australian guitarist Nathan Cavalieri. Now Nathan is a remarkably soulful musician and a fantastic guitar player and it was a real thrill to get to speak to him and hear more of his story. To give you a bit of context, Nathan started playing guitar at age three, picking along with his dad's blues records. Facing leukemia at age six, Cavalieri found solace in his guitar and thanks to the Starlight Foundation, he got to meet and jam with Mark Knopfler. Now this was televised on national TV and even at such a tender age and whilst being still quite unwell, Cavalieri's affinity with the blues and his burgeoning talent was undeniable. Thankfully, by the age of 13, he received a clear bill of health. Now by this time he was a road veteran, having uh, spent countless hours on national and international television, uh, touring the world, sharing the stage with artists such as B.B. King, Robin Ford, Albert Collins, Steve Morse, Steve Cropper, Jimmy Barnes, Diesel and Tommy Emmanuel, to name just a few. Following a break from the spotlight in his late teens, Cavalieri returned fronting the blues rock band Nate Cole and the Kings. They were festival favourites all around Australia and releasing some fantastic records too. In 2014, he found himself unexpectedly struck down with adrenal fatigue and anxiety issues. In 2017, Cavalieri started writing a website and blog that detailed his return to the stage and the studio. And 2018 ended up being a really great year for Nathan, releasing new music, getting back into the studio and back on stage. It was great to sit down and uh, discuss all of the above with Nathan in great detail. And he's an incredibly articulate and self-aware man, and I was very proud to have him as one of our guests on the Guitar Speaker podcast. So let's go straight to our conversation. Nathan Cavalieri, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Hey, mate. How are you? Thanks for having me. Man, very excited to to speak to you. Now, I've, um, I've been a fan of your blogs for the last couple of years, and on your latest one, um, you're, you were reflecting on 2018, and you called it the Year of Action, which I thought was a pretty cool uh, description of the year. What, what, what did you mean by that? Oh, I suppose, you know, when I... You know, I, I burnt out probably in about 2011 or 12 and probably was heading that way for a few years. Um, so, you know, when I pulled out of the um, the the music industry and just kind of decided to call it quits and I didn't really have much intention of returning, um, you know, that didn't really sit right with me and that kind of decision to to do that, um, it just felt unsettling and, it, and that unsettled, you know, those unsettled feelings sort of popped up in other areas of life and and, and that sort of fear and, and all that sort of spread into everywhere. So it kind of forced me during that period to to re-examine things, re-examine, like learn about myself, learn, you know, what things am I doing that, you know, that are, that's making my life better, what things am I doing that's, um, that's kind of pulling me down, um, which is quite a rabbit hole. Um, and uh, so, I, yeah, it was just really... A lot of learning, you know, just trying to work out what I want to do, what do I, how do I want to spend my time um, in the future, um, how do I want to feel, and I had to, you know, learn also the tools, um, you know, to use 
uh, to combat a lot of the stuff that I was going through and, you know, to help get me to where I want to be. Um, so essentially, uh, you know, 2017 was me dipping the toe in the water, you know, uh-huh. after I sort of worked out, you know, when I, when I had that sort of clarity on, on where I wanted to move, um, yeah, the, it was just trialing it just to see. And, um, and then, yeah, I made that, that decision very early 2018 that I just want to just, um, yeah, get, get back into it and, and do it properly. And, and, um, yeah, hence the year of action. <laughs> That's great. Now, now part of that was getting on the road again and, um, and releasing tracks from an upcoming EP. Um, let's talk about the EP first. What's, what was the process there what, to get back into writing and, and recording? Well, well, the um, one of the indications actually that I wasn't ready to t- fully turn my back forever on music was that I couldn't stop writing. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, during that period, um, it was uh, I was writing. Um, you know, probably jamming to start off with, just you know, by myself. It was kind of reminded me a little bit of how I started in music to begin with when I was a kid, where it wasn't about trying to make a career out of it. Or, I had no idea how to release a song or record it or whatever. All I knew is that when I was in my bedroom or in the garage or whatever, it was fun. It was fun just putting yep. stuff together and I'd kind of, you know, I had two tape decks and I'd just go between the two, you know, recording a guitar part and then recording a bass part and then just bouncing backwards and forwards. And, um, and yeah, and that's kind of without... Um, uh, without in, intending to that's kind of the 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 space that I ended up back in um you know during those sort of darker times where I was just in the in the bedroom just riffing away or coming up with a melody and until it had naturally you know expand into a song and until I had you know probably 20 songs and wow. Wow. songs that I was really really excited by and that's what made me go, well, you know, it's now not fulfilling like for them to be sitting on a hard drive. I want to, I think I want to put these out or, or play them. I mean, that's where social media was actually pretty good as well because it allowed me to share um, elements of the song in during that sort of building process um, in a casual way. So yeah, cool. it was a, it was a gauge, you know, on on on. So putting it out there, I get that rush of excitement. You get the feedback. You make people feel a certain way, and um, and that's kind of yeah was was an early days indicator that I I I did want to perform again, um, you know, because back before social media, to put an idea out, like you you had to go through a series of you had to probably book a studio, record it. And then how are you going to get it to the people other than maybe walking around with your CD and giving it to people. But, yeah, you know, you yeah, put course, it, it's yeah. quite a big thing, but now you can just chuck it out there. <laughs> um, that is yourself. cool. I, I remember seeing some of those um, some of those little video snippets you're putting out that you mentioned. And I think it was maybe you jammed with a drummer occasionally as well. I, I think I remember one track was just you and a drummer, you on guitar and singing, obviously, and it just sounded massive. And, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So maybe that was some of the uh, the lead up, the lead yeah. up work. So you've, yep. yep. So you've released two songs already. Um, Demons came out, I think, in August 2018, and then Rising Sun about a month ago, early December. Yep. Um, great, 
Great tunes, man. Demons is obviously a very personal uh, reflection and, and contemplative kind of yeah. kind of tune. That's right. Yeah, D- demons. Um, you know, demons was was written at that time where I kind of. Um, it reminded me of all the things that I took for granted. And this is when I was in that dark place where all of a sudden, like, cause I've, you know, my whole life, I've always felt confident, fiery. I've had a lot of energy, passion, desire. So then to, on the other side of burning out, all that stuff disappeared. And it uh-huh. reminded me of what, you know, I need to be more grateful, um, for, and also was, you know, it kind of provided me with a bit of a compass of what I want to work um, to get back to. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of essentially the, the nature of demons. And, and I, th- I felt it kind of relevant to, to really, for that to be the first release because I'd been blogging about a lot of that stuff for, yeah, for a couple of years now. And, yeah, and um, yeah. yeah, it felt, felt like the right song to release. And then Rising Sun is a version of a cold chisel song. Um, sure, yeah. Which... Yeah, it's it was it was wasn't an easy decision to release it because I mean, it can be musical suicide to do a version of a cold chisel song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's such a you know, it's I I put cold chisel in the you know with Led Zeppelin and and all that. It's like God, man, you've you want to be sure and you want to be really you know digging what you you're doing to something and 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 also offer a serious point of difference uh, before you go yes, and attempt yeah. to release it a song like yeah. that but it it just felt right and and I'd got positive feedback in my immediate circle and and um and obviously there was the personal tie with Diesel and and Jimmy and stuff with my career early on so um yeah yeah very cool very cool um yeah I mean the point of difference yeah you you totally spin it on its head you you break it into more of a halftime groove and um, I think you tuned to D, is that right? For that, that's right. Yeah, drop D and just kept it swampy. And I kind of, you know, uh, that riff came about before it turned into Rising Sun. And okay. Yep. It was sitting in my, you know, in my sort of collection for ages, and I just, I just loved it. It was a type of riff I wouldn't normally make up, and and um, and I couldn't figure out what to put with it, like. Each time I try and write a lyric, I'm like, no, nah, no, nah. it just wasn't working. And then I was, uh, yeah, I, kind of sitting in the studio and jamming, jamming on, it, on it again. And literally, the words of Rising Sun just came out. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, and then you know, I kind of got, you know, in terms of composition, I kind of got stuck um, with some of the chord changes because that halftime groove didn't fully suit all the the original yeah, chords. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It just, it, it felt predictable. It was like, oh, okay, cool. It's, we're doing the same thing, but slower. And it didn't really do too much um, for the tone and the sleaze as well. So I just, you know, I, one of my favorite things to do is, um, you know, take a, a melody that already exists and then move the chords around it. Um, you know, go to sort of relative minors or majors or, you know, mess with it a bit, and it's just amazing, mm-hmm. like how much it transforms and um, the the emotion and the mood. It's um, ridiculous, and that's kind of sort of how I what I did with this one. And it was also about uh, what things can I take out as well, rather than put in. Um, 
wasn't it about shredding, doing a massive shred solo over it. I just wanted to go, what what can I do over the top of this that's just cruisy, like channeling JJ Kale, <laughs> you know, in a modern way. Like um, that's kind of, yeah. Otherwise, if I wanted to do the full energetic thing, I would have kept it like original and just thrashed it out, which is not, not sure. what I was in the mood for. So sure yeah no i loved it there's i mean there's the the like the two five progression but you just sit on the two instead so there's that kind of subtractive thing you're doing with the chords which are totally yeah. set on that that swampy vibe man the tone on that is is killer um is that oh, you thanks, got a fuzz mate. in there somewhere it's just this gnarly swampy. Oh, what am i using um i it's it's interesting when i recorded and this this goes um you know, for the rest of the EP as well. I um, I demoed a lot of these songs up, well, all of them up, and um, a fair few of them were pretty spot on. Um, and but then it comes time where you go, all right, I want to do it for real. And you book the studio, you book the engineer and all that type of stuff. And, and this is where it was really helpful having um, it co-produced with a guy called Tony Buchan, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had a, a lot of my sort of peeps around me just going, dude, you should produce it yourself. It's what you do. And I'm like, no, I need it. I want another pair of ears. I, I need an anchor, <laughs> you know, because you can go down a creative rabbit hole and just, um, you know, I, I really need the security of somebody else that I trusted. So during that process, um, the amount of times that he said, no, nah, go back to the demo guitar, go back to the demo vocal or whatever uh -huh. was ridiculous. And it was because the energy, you know, the, even though it might not have been recorded the best, um, it's the energy and the performance. So in this situation, Rising Sun, I went, um, I did revert back for that main guitar to the uh, demo and okay. I recorded it at DI um, straight into my Vintech preamp. I, wow. overloaded, the, I overloaded the Vintech preamp and that's <laughs> the, the type of fuzz that you're hearing. Yeah, and cool. It's going through an 1176 and that was it. And then I knew that I, I just wanted a bit more depth to it because it was, it was very DI. Um, mm -hmm. So then I reamped it um, and just sent it through. What did I send it through? I think I sent it through my, um, just my Vox AC15 Heritage and, okay. um, and, and the Fender Pro. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I sent it to two of them. And um, and just set up some room mics, and then I blended that with the um, the DI. Fantastic, man! That's so cool, man. There's going to be a run on those preamps now. Everyone's going to want to buy one and yeah, <laughs> lug it around. Oh, they're great. I mean, they're they're like the the Neve copies, and they yeah, they yeah. do it really well, you know. Um, but the uh, it's I don't know what happened, but particularly over the last year, I'm just getting you know massively turned on by driving. Driving preamp DI, <laughs> it's just wow, man. That's yeah. Beatles, man. That's great. Well, yeah, yeah, and I think, and even like JJ Kale and all that. I think mm -hmm. you know, some of the amount of times where I've just gone to my amp and tried to get a really, really, you know, crystal clear, clean sound, or just a bit of a drive, and I want to keep it crispy, and 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 then I've just plugged straight into the DI and gone, wow, no, that's it. <laughs> bit of EQ. <laughs> Fantastic, man. That's cool. You, you, um, on both tracks, Rising Sun and Demons, you're you're very adept at um, swapping between slide and and fingers. Is that something you've been doing for a while? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I've probably only paid real like a lot of attention to my slide playing um, over the last uh, few years. Actually, like I've always dabbled in into it, but but I've spent a lot more time on it over the last couple of years. I I love it. I mean, it's, it's just the slide. Uh, and I know, you know, I've I've got I've got a lot I need to brush up on, um, but the the slide for me. It's just a, it's a feeling. It's like sometimes I, the fingers just don't do it. I want something that's a little bit more unusual. Um, and, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is actually, um, and it's in a couple of songs to come, is to, uh, you know, play a melody on the, on the slide and then double it with fingers. So you kind of oh, get cool. this almost, almost like a modulated tape echoey. Um, type sound and it really puts you into that eagles sort of land the land of the eagles and that that Uh period real sort of 70s early 80s vibes and yeah but no i'm really really enjoying it i've i just got a few tips along the way from kurt larange Um, oh yeah great great. yeah and that's that's actually the slide his slides are, are what i use i really love them because they've got when you put them on they're brass and um on the inside, if you look at the 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 thickness, the thickness is actually thicker up the top than it is down the bottom. It kind of steps. There's like a little step okay. on the inside, and it's to help, you know, because brass is so heavy. It's to help keep it the um, uh, the weight like weight. It, it it's almost used as a counterweight to keep it nice and straight wow, against your fingerboard. Cool. Yeah, that is genius. Wow. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. Now you mentioned um, Diesel. He he provides some backing vocals on um, on Rising Sun, and I believe he had some of his guitars floating around the studio as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thankfully, like I've I probably uh, almost half of the guitars that you hear on on the EP are, um, are his. Thankfully, but the um, wow. yeah the <laughs> um. Yeah, it's not easy to ask somebody you idolise to sing backing vocals on your track. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, ah, oh, stuff it. It'll be awesome. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And yeah. obviously he said yes and I was I was stoked. And also you kind of go through this little thing in your head where you go, what if it's not what you want? How do you then tell your idol, nah, man. It's... <laughs> um, but it was killer. First take and I was just, it was like, yeah, it's awesome. So good, um, man. So I was stoked. But guitars, what did I use? Um, well, out of mine, what I mostly used was my 335. I have a, um, an early 80s 335. Um, sometimes I use my mid 60s SG. Uh-huh. Um, uh, what was the, the rest? The. Um, The uh, his guitar, which I used on Demons, um, you know, because that it's it's mainly just guitar up the front, and yeah, yeah, we um we didn't want to just do a standard sort of telly thing. Um, mm-hmm. We wanted just to kind of just to feel a little bit woodier and clunkier, and and the three three five wasn't quite getting it um, there. It was almost there, um, so we knew we needed some sort of semi semi-acoustic um, type vibe. Um, and it ended up being a, an old Harmony Rocket. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, which are like, 
you know, were like the um, almost the cheap Kmart guitars from the 60s. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and it was just... A big and, hollow and, body. Yeah, that's right. And it has, it's a, it's a sort of a pretty quirky looking thing. It's red and um, all these knobs on it. And um, yeah, it just gave that clunk, you know, that dead sort of clunk. And um, and that was, yeah, that was Diesel's guitar. And nice. um, yeah, as soon as I picked it up, I'm like, oh man, I hate you because now I want to spend some money <laughs> and buy one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's great there's a beautiful tremolo on that that track as well what what's that coming from um that's coming from the oh is it the deluxe or that oh, i think it was my uh fender princeton okay nice yeah got an old old um 60s princeton um and i think i could be wrong because that all happened so quickly i think during the mix process there's a little bit of a some sort of mod Okay. going on just very slightly yeah um in the background as well nice yeah it's very sweet it's very sweet that that whole guitar it's beautiful yeah yeah i was happy with it nice so what's the um what's the next step with your ep so you, you seem to be like trickling out um the, the ep in singles over you know when you're ready when, when's the next um yeah next the next the next one will be uh mid-february uh, it's a song called uh, 29 Gold Stars, and that's probably a little deeper. goes, you know, um, I mean, Rising Sun has similar vibes. 29 Gold Stars is a pretty out there quirky song. It's um, uh-huh. it's it's a little bit hybrid as well. Um, and I'm not using real drums on it, um, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not David Guetta <laughs> or anything, <laughs> Calvin Harris. Um but yeah, just that little bit more hybrid. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely a song that I'm I'm looking forward to releasing. And then um, "Hug," which comes out with the EP, um, is a ballad, um, and uh, and there's an instrumental as well um, Great. Great. called uh, "Chucky." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, cool man, fantastic. Sounds great. There's um, one of your one of your blog videos. There's just an out. An outtake of you just wailing over some epic kind of thing. There's backing vocals and you, um, you jam. Oh, I don't know. I, is it is it kind of a ballad? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of a little yeah. maybe Beatles esque with just this yeah. soaring sort of guitar. That's hug. That's hug. Okay, cool. Yeah, so cool. that'll be that'll be the release after this one. Yeah, Great. yeah. I was, I was yeah. hoping that might be one of the one yeah. of the ones. No, definitely. Yeah, I, I, same thing. Look forward to that one as well. Those two, 29 Gold Stars and Hug, are, are one of my favourites, uh, some of my favourites. So, um, cool, but yeah, man. The, and that was, that, was the, that was the song that also, you know, during some parts I doubled with slide with fingers as well oh, to kind okay. of have that Beatlesy, okay. Eaglesy thing. Yeah, great. Good stuff. Now, um, in addition to releasing, starting to release stuff again uh, last year, you got on the road again. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, I did. Bit the bullet, took the leap. Um, yeah, yeah. There were definitely some psychological barriers that I had to, to break down to get back up on the road because you know, um, you know, most a lot of people don't know unless you followed my blog. But it when I was kind of starting to burn out um, during my old band touring with my old band Nat Cole and the Kings, um, yeah. I sort of didn't really know what was going on, and I just get these 
these random washes of fear and and feeling depleted and then I couldn't sleep so I was sleeping only three four hours a night and um and then having to sort of you know tour like that and get up on stage and then I'm playing this festival down in in Victoria Mm -hmm. and I remember just before going on stage the same thing I just felt this you know I felt all jelly in my body and depleted my vision was a bit bit all over the shop and and um uh but then you know it was I I had to go on stage I just had to do it so I went on stage and I, I did what I normally do push past it you know rise above it and then about Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the second, third last song, um, you know, I hit a big note on the mic and then all these just tingles went up my body and then sort of had a mini semi blackout on stage. And um, and then I, I, I hit the ground and then I, I came to and, and then I remember just looking up and just seeing just all these people just looking at me, they probably thought it was the show. <laughs> and, uh, you know, oh, probably would have looked rock and roll, but it didn't feel it. And um, and and then just this massive overwhelm of how am I going to get through the rest of these these songs. And it's hard to explain to people who haven't felt it what, what that type of overwhelm feels like because there's nothing rational about it. You're not in your the irrational part of your mind. It's yeah, your... Yeah. You, it's the only way I can describe it to somebody who hasn't been felt those feelings is it literally feels like somebody has dropped your, you know, poisoned your drink, and you're uh-huh. you're you're tripping out or something like that. That's yeah. what it feels like, and um, so it's quite unnerving. And I I managed to power through it. And this is before I was educated about any of that stuff. You know what's happening with yeah, the body, sure. what's happening with the mind, and all that. So as far as I was concerned, it would randomly just come on, and I just so. I was walking around the world just on guard all the time wondering, mm. is it going to hit now? Is it going to hit now? And it, and that sort of fear would, would be stronger during certain times, like whether I'm presenting, you know, in the studio to clients or going out to dinner with some friends or whatever, you know, I would fear it happening more than what I would say just sitting at home. Um, and then, and also on stage. And then the fear just got, so bad when it came to being on stage that being on stage wasn't fun anymore and it was something that I dreaded um, which was sad because I've been playing since I on stage since I was eight years old yeah, and at yeah. 29 30 um, I, had, I had to turn away from it because just to work out what the hell was going on so I I hadn't played I mean I did the odd maybe one tiny little you know get up with a mate just to try and push myself. Mm-hmm. Once or twice in, um, well, what's that? Five years, um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, like I was t- t- telling you before, when I decided that I do want to have another crack at this, and you know, I made a deal with myself. I said, just push through it, you know, because I couldn't, like, I couldn't imagine that that fear had suffocated my desire to play so much that I couldn't even remember what it felt like to play a gig on stage um, and feel good about it. So it was hard for me to draw on all the memories that I had that were just corrupted by this fear. So, and when all, you know, when fear corrupts all your memories, then it's gonna affect how you look towards the future. So, you know, somebody booked me a show at that point in time, all I would think is, how am I gonna do this? I, and I would have forgotten what, the years of amazing gigs I've done and how amazing I felt. 
Um, so, but I knew just through being mindful that um, that corruption was, uh, um, how can I put it? It's like, I, I knew that was corrupting my desire to play. And sure, the only way sure. I was going to be able to really truly feel, uh, you know, know whether I really want to play music again is to, to do it until I don't fear it anymore. And if I don't enjoy it still, and the fear, and it's not because of fear, then I know, okay, it's over. It's not not for me anymore. But mm -hmm. in order to get to that place, I have to just get through it. I have to keep pushing through my fears until they're gone. So that was the deal I made at the start of last year. And when I trialed like one or two gigs, it only took one or two gigs. And by the end of those gigs, I was on the biggest high that for weeks. Uh-huh for weeks after it. And that's how I knew I was like, I remember I played a show called uh, the Rhythm Hut in Gosford and that particular show, I'd played the Brass Monkey before that and I got off and I felt pretty high. And then a week later was the Rhythm Hut and, and that put me even higher. And that was the show that made me go, all right, it's time to, time to have a crack at a tour. Wow, um, and do this for real, and then yeah, so that was uh, August, uh, August, October. Oh no, October, November uh, was the tour last year. So naturally, I'd gone from doing just a one-off gig to booking ten, um, <laughs> and you know there were there were uh, it was Brisbane, surrounding uh, suburbs of like Brisbane, Sydney, um, Melbourne, um, yeah, Gold Coast. Um, uh, Central Coast and uh, yeah and so being on the road for that um, you know it was all definitely all about preparation you know I had to an anticipate a little bit where I might get stuck and have a bit of a plan on what's gonna you know what do I what do I do when I when I get stuck to stop myself from going down you know the, that negative rabbit hole and getting having panic attacks and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so what things can I put in place for that? And, um, and just setting intentions as well. Um, and the intention for that tour was not to enjoy it. Like, not that I wanted to go out of my way not to enjoy it, but it was about embracing the fear and the pain and whatever happens, but just get through it. Just keep pushing, just keep pushing. And then um, naturally when, you, you know, when you're leaning in, you know the the good stuff comes and it did every every time every time I, I went on stage no matter how nervous I was beforehand no matter how much my thoughts might have carried me away the act of me just leaning in and getting on stage and moving through it um every time I would I would feel bliss um so now it's about repetition I almost got to it you know probably the last couple gigs um was when I really started feeling relaxed and at home. Okay. Um, but it was only the last couple of gigs. So um, I think, yeah, it's just the rest is just repetition. Sure, sure. Well, when you... Um, and the feedback was great. You know, the, 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 the people, I think it's, it's definitely the most connected I've been with my audience, um, probably since I was a kid. But even then when I was a kid, I was, I was playing guitar. I wasn't singing. I wasn't you know, saying what I wanted to say, but I'm kind of telling my story a little bit in, in amongst the set as well. And it, it just, yeah, it's resonating with a lot of people and I'm, I'm getting a, like, it's, it's showing me why I play music, you know, is to, 
you know, when you create something and then you put it on stage and you perform it and you take people with you and you and you're all feeling a whole room. We're all feeling the same thing. Um, that's that's where the magic is, and that's kind of why I do it. That's that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I I remember reading in your first blog when when you describe what you've just told us now about that um, that first anxiety attack um, so vividly. I'm I got to say your your blog. It's written and now the videos they're, they're written so beautifully and and, and honestly. Um, Thanks, mate. Yeah, so just seeing you slowly work through that and uh, make those steps back on stage is is pretty great. One thing you wrote in one of your early blogs was that um, you couldn't find much information from other artists who were going through the same thing as as you were. Do you think you being so open about you know your health health challenges, both physical and uh, and mental health challenges? Um, yeah, do you see yourself now being a being one of those voices to what must be fairly sizable population of people who need to see a blueprint like this? Yeah, well, I'd at least like to think that I'm I'm triggering that sort of movement um, for other artists to want to um, share it. Uh, yeah. The I mean, I've, I'm a work in progress. Um, there's sure, still a lot yeah. of questions that I have, and 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 a lot of you know I. Um, you know, the reason why I'm not going out and doing speaking events or, you know, fully doing that whole thing is because I'm, I'm, I, I need more proof that what I've learned, um, is, is working for me. Um, but, and, you know, I think there's a lot of information that's online and that people are writing and putting out there and when they shouldn't be, <laughs> uh-huh. whether they're not qualified or they don't fully have the experience um and i just didn't want to be one of those people which is why all i've done through my blog is just shared you know um just an experience uh be it an experience or a technique that i've i've found helpful that's worked for me but i'm not going to preach that i know all the answers and and you know to broadly say that hey um this is how you get yourself from being you know paralyzed by anxiety anxiety and um to being fully liberated i don't have that answer just yet i'm almost there i feel i feel feel like i'm heading in the right direction um but yeah no it was it was it was tough it was really tough when when you come away from the doctors and and you're at a point where you've had so many tests and you're trying to work out what's wrong with you um and then they tell you that all your blood work is amazing. You know, that's ironically was a really low point for me because I wanted I wanted an answer. Of course. Wanted, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. an answer. Why why am I feeling like this? And that um comes from the fact that it's just there's so much mystery. There's just not enough people um sharing their mm-hmm. um uh, their stories and and not just it's not about stories of suffering. We want to hear stories of suffering and how somebody moved through it. You know, because if that was common knowledge, then I I probably would have saved myself a couple of years <laughs> of <laughs> trying to work out what is wrong and sure. also seeing the right people. I would have known early on who what you know who my the right practitioners were, 
yep. um, yeah, what type of people I, I want around me to help me through this. So, um, and particularly in music, um, it, yeah, it would be good because I know, I know many struggle um, with it and I also know many have moved past it, moved through it. Mm-hmm. And it's, I can understand when there's not, when there aren't any answers around how somebody can just be driven to the abyss. Sure, um, sure. You know, we've, and when you break it down, like the sensations, like what you feel, um, they're not that bad compared to, compared to other things that we feel. I mean, let's just look at, if you're the first person on the planet to have a full-blown flu, um, nobody talked about, you know, nobody talked about because nobody knew what it was. I mean, I reckon you'd be pretty bloody scared. You got, you know, Absolutely. shit coming out of your nose. You're trembling, you're fevering, you're bed bound, you're sweating. You're, I mean, that would be scary. But the fact that everybody talks about it and yep. you know yep. it and you see people get the flu and then they get better, they know what to do, yada, yada, yada. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't last. And same thing when it comes to anxiety and all that. What makes it last is the resistance to it when mm-hmm. it comes on. So if there's no, if you get rid of the resistance and you accept it, it's just a normal, can be a normal part of um, being a human being, it'll, you know, we won't make it any bigger than what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I think really sticks through with those early accounts from you is that um, physically and mentally, you're obviously struggling, but there's an overwhelming sense of um uh, confusion, you know, and surprise. Why am I feeling like this? Um, and it just hit home to me. And I'm, my day job is in education, and so I'm working with young people all the time. And there's a lot of, lot of focus on on mental health. And thankfully, you know, these days it's a different topic than it was, you know, maybe even just 20 years ago. Um, but what really struck me with 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 your story is that, you know, just that simple fact that. Um, these struggles are, are no respecter of persons. It can they can come seemingly very suddenly and to anybody in any situation. And like the flu, anyone can get the flu. Um, yeah, let's look at it like that. Yeah, yeah. And it took me a long time to realize that as well. And and I remember watching like um, Fighting Fear at that um, Mark Matthews Surf um, documentary. Oh, Bra okay. Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Um, and even storm surfers like with Tom Carroll and um, Ross Clark Jr. And what occurred to me um, when I'm watching this is who we think is fear they're fear people who we think are fearless they're not fearless it's what they do with the fear when it comes on uh-huh. Uh-huh. they love it some people hate fear some people love fear some people pay big money to get that that rush that fear because they associate it with completely different things so um yeah it's it's a topic particularly fear in general it's it's something that i um i would have loved to have understood understood a little bit more um early on it's a very fascinating topic i reckon Yeah, Um, yeah and you know, I've uh, I I love how much more awareness there is. Um, probably my only um, concern is that I'm, I just hope it's the right type of awareness. It depends on the circles that you move in because, uh, you know, I'm not really a fan of of um, particularly with kids. I know it's a bit of a controversial topic, but you know, 
the labels anxiety disorder and mm-hmm. and this that scares me a little bit particularly right. if if somebody who's a, a really young kid um has been you know branded this way i mean if if somebody says to me i've got anxiety disorder like i had leukemia when i was a kid yeah i knew there was something wrong that's mm-hmm. like when somebody says you got cancer okay well, there's something wrong going on there and it is a big mountain that that you have to climb you know also because of the label like the label itself so when you're going through a phase where you're you know there's a lot of fear in your life and then you're you know somebody who you respect um, diagnoses you with anxiety disorder all of a sudden there's something wrong in your head oh okay this is all wrong there's something wrong with me yeah which to me makes it even worse um you know it's it's where is you know, like in high school, I remember high school and even primary school, you're going to go through times that are tough. Like it's growing pains. It's, it's, they are tough years. And I remember being crazy self-conscious for years and, and scared of school. And, um, and I didn't have many friends. I was picked on, but I never once thought of myself for being bullied because I'd come home and my dad um, particularly my dad would teach me how to deal with that fear and to deal with, you know, adversity, uh-huh. which kept me always on the front foot um, rather than trying to run um, from it, you know, because the, the act of running to me is, and the, the the resistance to whatever you're feeling is then how it becomes a real issue within yourself. Um, and those were life tools that I've got now. You know, I've, I wrote about it in a blog um, ages ago about it's those years um, of being uncomfortable in school taught me like so onwards from that like I could walk into a, a room as the oddball out and and not feel insecure because uh, I was exposed to that for yeah. so long you know <laughs> at, at high school <laughs> I mean I know there's other ways to learn things but you know yeah that well that was your um, way yeah cool well that was my way yeah awesome you mentioned um if we, let's go back then for for a bit. Um, you mentioned um, being diagnosed with cancer when you were when you were six. I when I was, I think when I was three and four, I was diagnosed with Willem's tumors, which was um, very treatable these days. A very common cancer in children, but in the seventies, it was pretty it was pretty serious. So I had a lot of invasive surgery, and to be honest, I don't remember. Yeah, right. I don't remember a lot of it. I remember losing my hair. I remember... Um, yeah. How old were you again? I was three and four, yeah. I think, maybe five when I had my last surgery. I had a bunch of surgery. On, sure. I had a kidney removed. I had a portion of um, my right lung oh, wow. removed. Yeah, it was pretty... It was full on. Um, but to be honest, I was... Because I, re- I was so young, I don't remember a lot of it. And looking back now, as now I'm a dad, as you are, I, I just think, man... Hard for me, but it must have just been incredibly hard for my parents. Yeah. Now you were six; you were a little bit older than me. What What do you remember of that? Is your experience similar, um, or did, were you old enough to know a little bit more? And I was old enough to know, like, to remember what I was going through and what you know everything. But I I was always kept in the dark right. when it came to what you know the realities. Okay. Um, which is smart because it kept me focused on the things that I want to do in life rather than where I don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, I would say during that time is when I, my bond with my guitar deepened. Yeah. 
because uh, it took my mind off the pain and, mm-hmm. and all the procedures and which were really rough you know back then and the hospital that I was at they didn't have enough beds to put you out for really painful um, operations like lumbar punches and stuff like that so I'd be awake for them oh, man. Um, at that age and I'd have to do them every week for months wow um wow, so you know i'm i'm sure maybe uh you know there's always been this you know my my psychologist often wonders how much of um you know that type of anxiety is is sort of trapped in my body it's like kind of emotional muscle memory really okay that it's just there's nothing else has happened since then in your life in my life to trigger that type of emergency reaction until, you know, um, until my late twenties and then, and then boom, it just, it's, it's there. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, oh, cause I remember just every, you'd get through it and then I'd be on a high because I got through it and then, and then I'd be counting down the days, you know, okay, I've got five more, five more days until I have to go in there, four more days until I go in there and mm-hmm. then I wouldn't sleep very well and, and um, and that was the pattern. Anticipation was the pattern. You know, being in a state of anticipation was the pattern for a long time because of that. And maybe that's got something to do with my my nature in general. Um, they're really um, those years are really um, what's the word? Um, um, influential on in your makeup. Mm-hmm. When you're that young. Um, yeah, but uh, then the uh, the Starlight Foundation, that's when they came into my life, which was when I was seven, when they granted me that wish to meet Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. Yeah, and when that's when Australia, we, we pretty much got to meet you um, when, when that right, happened. Yeah. yeah, man. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, one day it'll be good to meet him again. Uh-huh. I so haven't met him since. You haven't met him since? Okay. No, nah, no. Nah. I mean, I actually, I think he came out, Dire Straits came out that year or a little bit later and I hooked up with him backstage, but... Yeah, um, I haven't never really crossed paths. Well, I haven't crossed paths with him since. But it'd be an interesting, um, interesting meet. That's sure, for sure. sure. Um, can we can we talk about a little bit about that that time? I guess. Yeah. Um, so you became a household name. Yeah, pretty much at the age of seven or eight, um, playing guitar. I actually first saw you live when you sat in with Robin Ford, and this would have probably been the early nineties. Oh, in the basement. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I was a guitar player, so when I saw you on TV and absolutely when I saw you with Robin Ford, I knew you weren't just a, a gimmick or some kid who'd learnt a trick and got on TV. There was a lot of depth to your uh, musicianship even then. And, you know, by then you've already been playing half your life. So, yeah. um, But there, that set you on a course with to work with some really interesting people. Um if I what if I just mention a few names and you can perhaps reflect, mm. um, Daryl Summers because you're on Hey Hey It's Saturday a lot and I believe yeah. even in recent years he's been um, an encouraging figure for you. Yes, absolutely. Well, Daryl, you know Hey Hey It's Saturday is like uh, I, there's not a show out there like it. It's um, especially for musicians. Mm. You know, like Hey Hey It's Saturday um, wasn't biased to you know whatever is in the top 100 top 50 or whatever you want to call it um he he had different different types of musicians on there and um and multiple on one show 
So, and Hey Hey It's LA was the, also the thing that you do, you did, you know, all the overseas touring acts when they came to Australia, they would play Hey Hey It's yeah, LA. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a real big deal and definitely, um, was a, a key supporter for music. Um, you know, you, you'd end up on Hey Hey It's LA and your tour, you know, did well. Mm -hmm. Um, as long as you were good. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so the fact that he supported, um, you know, an artist that's pretty unlikely, like, you know, myself and, and also not a sure bet, um, yeah, I was pretty flattered by that. And he supported me for almost 10 years. So I didn't realise that until uh, about three years ago when we, um, that he just randomly reached out to me um and wanted and wanted to meet up and see how it was going in sydney and gave me a um his the whole back catalog was up and and um gave me a, a dvd just with all my appearances on there and i'm watching him going man that's that's epic like i had a flick through i can't watch myself um <laughs> but just having a flick through going wow that this was a long time it's a long time sometimes i'll be on there twice a year and right up until i was yeah, I think the last appearance was 16, 17 years old, 16 years old maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and I was on there first time at eight years old. So, um, yeah. Awesome. I, th um, I think that's when you became um, everyone's little brother or, or you know, in, in, <laughs> in Australia. And um, I know, I think you were... Um, you're diagnosed with remission in you, you know, about 13. You know, it's like the whole nation, like big deep sigh and super happy. Yeah, man, I remember doing. I yeah, I didn't think of it like that, but yeah, I suppose, yeah, for sure, because we everyone watched Hey Hey. That's what we did on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> well, awesome. I mean, Hey Hey, Hey Hey, you know, they've um, that's kind of um, definitely without them, I wouldn't be where I am now because. Um, it was a Hey Hey It's Adelaide performance um, where um, Jimmy Barnes um, and I crossed paths and then he signed me to his wife's record label with Mushroom Records. Um, and and that's when I went on my first tour. Yeah. Well, that, that were the next people I was going to mention, Jimmy and, and Jane Barnes. Yeah, because I went from like, well, Hey Hey, outside of Hey Hey, I was just busking in Queen Street, Campbelltown. Uh-huh. And um, and then, and then the next thing I'm on a five-week rock and roll tour, <laughs> um, around Australia, playing some of the roughest places, yeah, and biggest as well. And um, and my dad, I mean, this is like the more I think about this stuff, the more I just look to my parents and go, God, oh my God, yeah. you guys really did take a, you know, take some chances and put yourself in in threw yourself in the deep end because yeah. You know, my, my dad was, even though he taught me, he wasn't a professional musician mm -hmm. and he'd never played on stage before. So um, just sort of maybe at a party or something like that. And he used to have a garage band with a couple of mates and that's it. Yeah. Um, so now he's in charge with trying to put together a band for me to play at entertainment centres around Australia. Yeah. And um, so he just did his best and... And I had, how would I had? I had him on rhythm guitar. I had on bass guitar. I had um, his uh, fellow bricklayer mate <laughs> playing bass. 
Um, and uh, and then yeah, on drums we had Jimmy Barnes's guitar tech. I oh, know our drum tech. Okay. Yanni. Okay. And then um, and that was my band. <laughs> that was my band for the for the tour and um, yeah. And then at the end of that tour was um, for the after party. Um, that's when I met the the guy who became my manager in America. He was oh, an Australian okay. guy that was putting on um, putting on an event, a celebration event for Guitar Player Magazine. It was their twenty fifth anniversary. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember and seeing yeah, you in in Guitar Player. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, you and, had the um, super sparkly PV Nathan Cavalieri yeah. model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go the nineties, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then he yeah we we went over to the states and I played that, um, and that was there was some amazing guitarists there like um, John Lee Hooker, Ry Cuda, Steve yeah. Morse, um, Jeff Baxter, Frank Mbali. Yeah. Um, I mean at the time there's a lot of people I just didn't know who they were. Yeah, and um, funny story though, Ry Cuda was playing and and everyone's always always told me how much like he can be a bit of a cranky pants and and. Um, <laughs> So he's on stage and he's just doing a solo thing, something by himself, and he's playing this blues and and um, and the uh, the crowd starts clapping, but they're you know what crowds can be like, they, they clap a bit out of time, and John Lee Hooker's also you know pretty loose, and it <laughs> yes. was and it was it was throwing him off, <laughs> throwing him off. So then he just stopped midway through the song and he goes, "Don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> And everybody's just like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was my first encounter with um And actually on that same trip, I got to play with Albert Collins. Wow. Um, Tell me about yeah, that. What, what's, what's that? Well, that was just at San Francisco Blues Festival. I have no idea how it was hooked up because um, I wasn't even signed at the time. And we uh, might have been through, yeah, probably maybe somebody through somebody at, at the Guitar Player magazine. Mm -hmm. Went to San Francisco um, Blues Festival. And um, yeah, he had me up on stage, and I got to play with him in the Icebreakers, wow. um, and that was incredible. That's the first blues band I, I ever played with, you know, proper blues band. Okay, and the, you know, and still to this day, it's like my first blues band, and, and I was ten years old, and it was Albert Collins. And that's not bad. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and the groove. I remember the shuffles, and you know. And that was an education on the difference between a Texas shuffle and a Chicago, oh, Chicago okay. blues type okay. shuffle, you yeah. know? Well, um, what's the difference? Well, I find the Chicago shuffle, like, you know, the Texas shuffle is more on the left hand with the snare. You know, if you think of, like, the difference between Albert Collins' uh, T-bone shuffle. Yeah. But, uh, you know, versus Cold Shot, Stevie Ray Vaughan is a lot more sort of you know, back. And, okay. And, yeah, yeah. You know, almost like a half swing rather than a full. Um, you know, it's a bit sleazier, and um, I probably identified a little more with the Texas shuffle for mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. um, and I I find it the Texas sort of shuffles and stuff like that a bit dirtier, a bit sleazier, um, but but both good, of course. Nice, nice man. We could I could probably go on all day asking it. Uh, about these different stories but um bottom line yeah. is though you you here you are 2019 about to kick into a, a new year last year sounds like it was you know really positive and 
lots of new stuff or lots of stuff for the first time in a long time and um yeah so thank you for um thank you for being so honest throughout your i mean for speaking to me today about just with your blog for the last couple of years and, and speaking so openly about um not only your, your health issues but there's some great stories in your blogs about being on the road um, and meeting some of these amazing people and all sorts of stuff so um yeah i'm just saying this to say i'm really excited to see where where things are at for you at the moment and very much looking forward to seeing what um what 2019 ends up being for you yeah thanks mate i really appreciate it it's good to know that all those blogs and stuff resonate as well because i mean i I write it because it's a cathartic release and sure and also with some of them I'm, i'm hoping that it inspires people but um i can't really know um, and unless people give me feedback on it, and yeah. um, so it's good, good to really good to hear. Yeah, it's resonating, and oh, um, cool. yeah. Well, thanks, thanks for having me, mate. Man, great it's pleasure. Good to chat. Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, I'll hopefully see you at a gig soon. Absolutely, cool, mate. All right, there you go. My conversation with Nathan Cavalieri. What an honest and insightful. Man, he is, and I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. Let me tell you about a few links I've included in the show notes. First up, NathanCavalieri.com, where you can find links to the new EP. And as we spoke about, those first two tracks that have been released are absolutely killer. Such good tracks, great playing, great singing. Very, very soulful. And uh, the blogs on that website are great. Some of them are just amazing music stories from on the road as a kid and as an adult and some of them are dealing with nathan's health journey both physical and and mental and you know what for all of us you know life is not a straight line at at all for any of us and uh it's for me i find it encouraging when other people open up and share their experiences because i think it makes it all the more relatable to to those of us who might might be treading the same the same boards Another link I've put on the show notes today is for Beyond Blue, which is an Australian organisation uh, offering help uh, for mental health issues. Now, I know we have listeners from all around the world. I'm just uh, connecting Australian listeners, I guess. Uh, but if you're overseas, I strongly encourage you to find local bodies that, that would help you if, if you need that. All right, a few people to thank for this episode coming to being. My friend Adam Roach from Become a Guitarist Today podcast, who put me in touch with Rob from Good Intent Publicity, who then put me in touch with Louise from Nala Music Management. And, uh, you know, it takes a village sometimes. And uh, all those people helped get this interview uh, to come to pass. So my my sincere thanks to all those people. Thank you for listening. Remember to check out guitarspeakpodcast.com for all of our previous 102 episodes, links to how to subscribe, all of our social media uh, merch and all that kind of stuff. Thanks for joining me. My name's Matt Wakeling. I'll catch you next time on the Guitar Speak Podcast. Bye now.